Acts of the Blood God. <laughs>Welcome to another episode of Axe of Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. With me, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, everybody. That was a very nice song, Kat. Oh, thank you. And as always, we talk about RPGs, big and small, Western, Eastern. We love them very much. And this week, we're going to be talking about all the news that came out of the Tokyo Game Show, which was about eh, what you would expect for major games. Um... We will also be talking about, we will also be introducing our latest report. It's time, Nadia. We're doing, drumroll please, the Final Fantasy IX report. Ooh, this is going to be a good one. Because Final Fantasy IX just came out on the PlayStation 4. Mm-hmm. It's a great time to revisit a game that a lot of people love and have very fond feelings for and decide, it does it deserve the love? Does it... Is it a lost classic? Does it deserve more attention than, say, I don't know? Does it deserve to be spoken of in the same breath as the SNES classics, Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy X, that kind of thing? So I guess we'll find out. I guess we will find out, because Nadia's playing it for the first time! Yes, more or less. More or less. I mean, you played a whole bunch of it when it came out, but you didn't finish it. Well, I didn't even play that much of it when it came out. Just I can't remember how far I got. I don't think it was very far before my CD just died. Well, I told you that I originally got Final Fantasy Nine. I, I bought Final Fantasy Nine at launch, and I got all the way to the end on my initial run. But then I ran out of gas because I was underleveled. Oh, yeah. I about so, that. That's like so. As a consequence, I stopped uh-huh. for quite a while until college when I found a used copy because I had lost the discs for some reason. Mm-hmm. And made an effort to not just play through it, but to do everything. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a lot to do. Which I almost did. I did almost everything. I did Chocobo Hot and Cold, and I played, I I got every single card in the card game, Mm -hmm. and I beat the secret bosses and everything. I don't think we're going to ask you to do everything, but you're going to definitely have to play some Chocobo Hot and Cold. Oh, Nadia. yeah. I, 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 I always love like anything to do with Chocobo mini-games. Like, I bred Chocobos for 10 hours in Final Fantasy VII. It was ridiculous. Yes. Okay. Uh, also, we're going to talk some Divinity Original Sin 2 with Mike, who will be coming on the show a little bit later in a separate segment, very briefly. But, okay, let's start with some RPG news, Nadia. Mm-hmm. First up... Uh, Monster Hunter World has a release date. It's coming out early in 2018, and it's looking pretty good. Yeah, I, I saw the trailer. It looks really nice. Um, like I said in our last uh, RPG uh, podcast, I was mentioning how, I don't know, just kind of hunting monsters makes me feel a little sad, but I kind of want to still beat them up a little bit, because just just looks like a really good game. <laughs> I th- I have a prediction for you, Nadia. Mm-hmm. My prediction is that Monster Hunter World will res- will mark the first time that the series really breaks out in America. Yeah, you know what? I'm getting that impression, too. I, I get the feeling that Capcom is really trying hard to push it. Uh, w- one thing we talked about on our uh, flagship podcast was Capcom's troubles, and there are many. And um, they're really riding Monster Hunter very hard. And I think <laughs> you can really tell it with Monster Hunter World. Yeah, Marvel versus Capcom. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean... 
Uh, Mike seems to like it okay, but <laughs> it looks pretty cheap. Yeah, but like I said, with Marvel vs. Capcom, you're talking about a, a fighting game that was once the top of the franchise. It's not a game that should be just okay, you know what I mean? Yeah, I suppose. I wouldn't exactly say that it was the top of the franchise, but it was certainly up there. And it the fact a- that it had... It had all that crossover. It has all that crossover appeal, you mm-hmm. know, with Marvel. Yeah. So the fact that uh, I don't know, but that's neither here nor there. Monster Hunter, on the other hand, it already has a pretty solid established base here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I, I've just noticed that when it comes to uh, like Monster Hunter stuff, does really well for us. Mm-hmm. And like for example, our Monster Hunter Everything You Know kind of hub that's like detailing the release date and everything. Uh, consistently does pretty good traffic. People are searching for Monster Hunter, and it it really stands out as a pretty cool-looking, accessible, multiplayer RPG thing, right, that yeah. you can play with your friends. And the fact that it's coming out on PC and PS4 for the first time is really, like, legitimately exciting. I think that it, especially since it's coming out in a window where there's not going to be a lot of other games, Yeah, January 26th, just tells me that this is the time for Monster Hunter to shine. Like, yeah. it really broke out on the 3DS, but this is it. This is going to be where it kind of hits the big time in the U.S. for the first time. Yeah, I guess we'll find out soon enough. If it doesn't this time, I don't know when its next chance can be, because I think mm. the stars are, are as lined the up. The stars are aligned. Yeah. Yeah, and the PS4 has been doing pretty well in Japan, mm-hmm. so I expect that it's going to do pretty well, too. It's going to get pushed pretty hard. I don't know if it's going to do 3DS numbers, but in japan but it should at least sell better but yes monster hunter world out uh worldwide ps4 xbox one on january 26 2018 okay next piece of news nadia (laughs) final fantasy 15 apparently they were prototyping out on switch and giving it a try (laughs) not not very satisfactory nadia yeah this is my surprise face um I'm just kind of thinking of there, like there's a joke going around about like Skyrim uh, demastered, where you have an Argonian that's made out of like three polygons, and that's kind of what I'm thinking of the <laughs> Final Fantasy 15 for Switch. I uh, Tabata told Eurogamer honestly when we did the technical test to see if we could use the same native engine we used on the other console versions on the Switch, we tried to run it there. The results weren't satisfactory. It wasn't what you would want from a final game. It doesn't mean that's the end of that. Mm-hmm. We're looking for the at the options, like the customization of the engine. It wasn't what you'd want from a final game. It doesn't mean that's the end of that. We're looking at other options. We're okay. not going we can't currently announce anything. We haven't come to a full decision on the best way to do it yet. We're having very open, frank discussions with Nintendo at the moment about what they think is the best thing to do. It's all under investigation. I think the best thing to do is to make a remake of Final Fantasy Six and put it on the Switch. There, there's my free advice square. <laughs> so I'm going to put on my Sporto hat for a moment. I just reviewed NBA 2K18 on the Nintendo Switch. And right. it came... And NBA 2K18 is a very good looking game. Mm-hmm. It is like very realistic looking graphics, uh, amazing looking characters, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. And it almost is completed, uh, ported in its entirety to the Nintendo Switch. It's <laughs> bugs and all. <laughs> all the bugs too. Oh boy. Uh, I, of course, unfortunately ran into a problem where when I was playing the story mode, when your character is in the locker room, yeah. the audio drops out. <laughs> you think you mentioned that in Slack, yeah. In the yeah, it slows to a crawl and the audio drops out. Oh, dear. And I was like, man, oh, playing it in handheld mode, not so great. 
but people are saying this is a problem on the PS4 version as well, which really? I don't even know what to think that you know, in that bugs case. Bugs and all, as you said. Bugs and all. So in that case, hey, Nintendo Switch, good job, good on you. I was going to say Nintendo. I guess Nintendo is blameless in that case. It just uh, that's two case screw up. So if you have some real technical wizards, I think that you can squeeze these games on Nintendo Switch. But yeah. at the same time, it might be kind of a fool's errand to try and make the Switch into something that it isn't. Yeah, and like, I, I'm not hurting too bad for AAA games on the Switch, because that's why I have my, my PS4, that's why I have my Xbox One. I, I mean, mm-hmm. most people, I don't know what the story is with kids these days, they only get one system the way we did when we were kids, you were either Genesis or, or Super Nintendo. But, um, I don't know, it, the market's really changed a lot since I was a kid, so... If I would, if I were to like meet someone and they said, "Tell me everything you know about video games. What should I do to get into them?" I would say, "Look, if you can, either have a really good gaming PC or a PS4 or an Xbox One and a Switch, and then you'll be happy." Yes, you will have everything that you need. You'll have everything that you need. I, I, I. We we were joking on the other podcast that everything would be better on the Switch. Yes. Uh, and so I don't necessarily think that's the case. Uh. I would. I was talking on. I was port begging for a Dragon's Crown mm-hmm. uh, port to the Nintendo Switch because I think Dragon's Crown would be amazing yeah, on the that would Nintendo be Switch. Like there's a certain kind of. It's hard to describe, isn't it? But there's a certain kind of game that would work really well on the Switch, and mm. it's not the AAA games most of the time. Anything that facilitates couch co-op, yes, would be amazing on the Nintendo Switch. Like playing. Uh, dragon's crown on the couch with friends yeah <laughs> people were saying well you could just do that on the vita well guess what folks the vita has serious frame rate issues the vita is tiny and not everybody has a vita not, a lot more people that i know have a nintendo switch yeah i and i would love 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 to be able to be playing dragon's crown on the switch on the couch mm-hmm. and somebody's playing dragon's crown on the tv on their switch and I think those graphics, those 2D graphics would look so good on that screen. Oh, yeah, my God. Yep. Yeah, that's the kind of game I want. Uh, like Final Fantasy Fifteen on the Switch, uh, I yeah, don't know. I but uh, the, like I said, there's a very specific game that I want. It, it's like kind of the Octopath Traveler. Like That's going to be mm. fantastic on Switch. Um, I guess it could be on PS4, and it just wouldn't be the same. It, it's hard to describe, really. Yeah. I, my, so Final Fantasy Fifteen. While it's it's got its issues, it was kind of a technical showpiece, mm-hmm. and I think that you're going down a bad path if you're just trying to cram all of that onto the Nintendo Switch, because it's not a technical showpiece. It doesn't do 4K or 1080p and all that stuff. Yeah, but. exactly. The, the, the Switch is really about portability, convenience, sometimes in, in some cases unique titles. Again, I don't look to it for my AAA experiences, and that's why I was saying, oh, okay, well, instead of Final Fantasy XV, why don't you just make a remake of Six and put it on the Switch? I'd be very happy. I don't know about a remake of Switch, uh, Final Fantasy VI. I do. I would be interested in Final Fantasy X and X-2 uh, HD on the Switch. Yeah, yeah, I can I think that. that would actually be a great fit. I think Final Fantasy XII, uh, Final Fantasy XII HD on the Switch would be a good fit for it. Mm-hmm, uh yeah, like stuff like that. Uh, Final Fantasy Fifteen is such a weird game. I, I just don't think that it's a good bit. But in any case, yeah. So we'll see. I I would actually be surprised if Final Fantasy Fifteen comes out on the Switch. Yeah, I'm not really like hanging my hat on it by any means. I would love to see Persona Five on the Switch. 
Oh, yeah. That would be fantastic. Persona 5 Crimson? Oh, yeah. I definitely want that to happen. Crimson That concludes our... That concludes our port begging segment of the Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> and last piece of RPG news, Nier Automata surpasses 2 million sales, could potentially be hiring for more Nier projects. Oh, that's really mm. great. I'm glad to hear that. That makes me happy. Nier Automata is the story of the year. It, mm-hmm. we're talking about a niche release from a frankly weird developer. Yeah. That has now sold 2 million copies worldwide and is going to be legitimately in Game of the Year discussions. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think uh, Matt and Katie are already talking about how they're going to fight for it to make it Game of the Year. And Hideki Kamiya said that it saved Platinum. Yeah. And I'm not surprised. That's really great. Like, it's, it's a really fantastic success story, except for the one thing that's wrong is that it's not Platinum's IP. But, you know, everything else is just great. Yeah. And people have been saying that we should do a Nier Automata report. Nadia, I think we're going to do a Nier Automata report. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I have the game and I need a good excuse to really sit down and plow through it. Yeah, but I really want to get through my Secret of Mono report first. Because that shouldn't take too S- long, though. Like- no, because the SNES Classic is coming out. I'm going to play it. Yay. I'm going to play some uh, Secret of Mono. Uh, my friend was saying, hey, we should play some multiplayer. You I got should. a friend of mine who's going to play some multiplayer oh, with nice. me. It's going to be fun. And so I'm going to do that, and we're also going to do our Final Fantasy IX report, mm-hmm. and then when that's done and dusted, we'll move on to Nier Automata so that we can knock it out before yep. the end of the year. There we go. It's all planned, yep. people. It's in the stars. There you go. Okay. And speaking of the Final Fantasy IX report, I think it is time for the Final Fantasy IX report. <laughs> I think it is time. Okay, Nadia. So you are not that far in the Final Fantasy IX, but let's... Maybe let's just set the stage. Yeah, let's with set Final the stage. Kind of spitball a little bit about what's coming. Um, so as I said, well, no, I want to talk a little bit about the history first. Okay, so let's let's do it. Let's do a history lesson. Yes, a little bit of a history lesson. Okay, let's go back to the year two thousand. It's the summer of adventure for Square Enix. Oh yeah, uh, or so Square Soft. Square Soft at the right, time still soft. Final Fantasy is as big as you can possibly get mm-hmm. for Final Fantasy. Like it. Final Fantasy VIII in 1999 was released uh, back-to-back against the Dreamcast. It was the direct competitor. You just did not get any better, mm-hmm. any bigger mm-hmm. than Final Fantasy. It was a technical showpiece on these consoles. And Square was turning these out things out fast. We got Final Fantasy yeah. VII in 97. We got Final Fantasy VIII in 99. And we got... And we got Final Fantasy IX in either 2000 or 2001. I'm not, I, I actually can't remember which one it was. Do you remember, Nadia? Uh, no, I don't. But uh, yeah, back in those days, Final Fan- they had a really solid plan for Final Fantasy's release schedule. And yeah, nine was part of that. That bang, bang. bang. Uh, if only the computer, if only there was some internet tool that would be able to tell me what it is. And actually, the internet tells me it's November 13th, 2000. Okay, so it came out. Almost a year, just about a year after Final Fantasy VIII, wow. and I remember, I remember seeing the the preview stuff, and it was already looking pretty complete. Mm-hmm. So, Final Fantasy IX, as the last uh, game before the double before the series hit double digits, was meant to be kind of a, uh, I don't know, a fond look back. It was over yeah. the over the past 
several games in the series. Uematsu intended it to be one big tribute, especially to the NES games, but also the SNES games. And there are certainly some references to the PlayStation games. And one of the, be- the one of the funnest things about Final Fantasy IX is going through all of the different uh, uh, all the different references and everything to the previous games. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and Final Fantasy IX also was meant to be kind of getting back to its roots. Because yeah, Final Fantasy was. Yeah, because Final Fantasy VII was, you know, very different from the original Final Fantasy. There were definite inklings of Final Fantasy VII in the original Final Fantasy, yeah. in, just in terms of the kind of the sci-fi ele- fi elements. Uh, but there was no denying that Final Fantasy VII and VIII were a far cry from the original Final Fantasy. Yeah, even six, when you think back to it, had like a lot of that kind of steampunk thing going on. They were creeping up towards the sci-fi, the full-blown sci-fi element that you get with uh, with 7 and 8. Yes. So Final Fantasy IX was meant to kind of get back to that. It, one of the first things it did was it brought back the Black Mage, the yeah. traditional Black Mage in VV. The Orco Mage. Yes. And people, uh, for many people who got into the series through Final Fantasy VI, in my case, Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VIII, this was the first time really seeing a black mage. Oh, that's a good point. I never thought about that. Yeah. Yes. It was the first time being kind of introduced to a lot of elements Mm -hmm. that were important to Final Fantasy. For example, the crystals. (laughs) Yeah, the crystals were back. They'd been gone for a while. Yes, the crystals, like the, the crystal is in the is in the logo. Yeah, it's they're, the Yoshitaka Amano design. Though they did, in the end, the crystal is actually not that big of a deal in Final Fantasy IX. It, certainly not to the extent of the early Final Fantasies mm-hmm. one through five, where you had the crystals of earth, wind, fire, and water, where they were central to the plot. Yeah. And here they're almost shoehorned in a little bit. But the, the fact of the matter, the crystals are back. Yeah, crystals are back. Hey, baby. And finally, the characters, they were very different. They went through, they went for the 3D look, obviously, mm-hmm. but they were kind of cheapy. Yeah, they're very um, whimsical. Yes, uh, very cute, very cute. I, I suppose. Honestly, they look a little weird. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I, I kind of noticed that. Like, I'm going through, like, just to jump ahead a bit, I'm going through Alexandra. Is that what's called Alexandria? Yes. Um, and I'm noticing these people are all animals. I'm like, is this? Are they wearing masks because this is a theater town, or are they actually like furries? Like, no, no, they're actual animals. Because much okay. later you meet a, a rat lady. Okay, yeah, okay. So I thought so, but it, she's on my perfect RPG team, if you'll recall. Yeah, that's uh, what's her name? Freya. Uh, Freya. She's really cool. I noticed like there's a little rat kid who I'm kind of interacting with now, but I didn't realize mm-hmm. there's so many animal people because I know like twelve has the Sikhs and the Bangas and and whatnot, but uh, they're just everywhere in nine. <laughs> Another aspect of Final Fantasy IX that was a big deal at the time, 7 and 8 had had three characters in its party. Final Fantasy IX brought it back to four. Yes. After all the complaining, (laughs) hey kids, all right, fine, you get four in your party. Here's your four characters. Enjoy them. Jerks. Unfortunately, there were some technical uh, problems that came with it for one thing load times were so much longer in mm. final fantasy 9 oh my gosh they were like killer the 
first you would have the very long loading sequence of it loading up. Yeah. And then the camera would slowly so, panel yeah. around the bat- battlefield <laughs> while uh, Nobuo Uematsu's rendition of the classical do 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 Which is great. Like, it's a great theme. Yes. Though, I'm actually not a big fan of it. It's it's so high energy. I could see though, like how it would get mm. repetitive after like fifty billion battles. I get that he's making a tribute to all the other the early Final Fantasy mm-hmm. uh, battle theme, but he leans too hard on the do 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 as the the baseline, right? Oh yeah, does he ever? Um, I do like the I do like a lot of the other music in this game the mm-hmm. the the flutes mm-hmm. and the kind of medieval. Uh, music that comes with it but also the the boss theme is really good yeah i haven't heard that one yet yeah you'll you'll hear it eventually because my favorite boss themes so far for final fantasy are four and seven so let's see if it tops that uh, oh we'll see i i I actually think that it might be it's i I like it a lot better than seven Mm, i love seven and i think that it might be up there with four and Mm. six four is pretty classic is is it the best Final Fantasy tune ever? Uh, uh, <laughs> but still good. Still good. Okay. It gets you pumped. Uh, another problem with putting four characters on the battlefield, the special effects are still good. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. But in my opinion, the battles look noticeably worse than Final Fantasy VIII. Mm. They are a step back in the sense of the camera doesn't move around as much. Right. It doesn't feel, the animation isn't as fluid. Uh, the camera kind of sits in one place. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that it, like, it, seven and eight really kind of had that camera. That, that was like so amazing to see when you're going from six to, to seven, just those, those camera zoom ins. And even if the polygons don't look good today, they were, it was just like an incredible showcase back then. So, even back in 2000, when I bought this for the first time and I was playing through it, it stood out to me mm-hmm. that this was a, from a technical standpoint, a noticeable step back mm-hmm. from Final Fantasy VIII. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, so some of those elements like have only gotten maybe more noticeable over time yeah Uh, another thing about final fantasy 9 is that it came out at the same time as the playstation 2 and as a consequence kind of ended up being overshadowed just a little bit Mm -hmm. because all the hype was for the ps2 and the ps2 looked frankly looked amazing yeah like the difference between the ps2 and the playstation 1 (laughs) stark yeah that was one of the last really big jumps from for like a generation's graphics. Yes, absolutely. So, I uh, that said, if you played Final Fantasy IX on the PS2, it was a great advertisement for the PS2's backwards compatibility. Oh, that's right. I forgot it could do that. Because the PS2 had smoothers and everything that made Final Fantasy IX look significantly better. Mm-hmm. Was it faster? So, like the load times? I don't... I think so, but I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Maybe maybe not that much faster. But it did have some aspects that would make it look just a little bit better right. on the PlayStation 2. Um, unfortunately, just by virtue of the fact that maybe people were getting just a little bit burned out on Final Fantasy IX and the fact that it was so different from 7 and 8, 
meant that it got overshadowed mm-hmm. a little bit. But it has since developed a very loyal cult audience. Absolutely. And Nobuo Uematsu, uh, not, not Uematsu, sorry, Hironobu Sakaguchi himself has said that it is his favorite Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's introduce some of the characters, Nadia. Um, so far, you have met Vivi. I met, so, Vivi. I met Zidane, Zidane. Zidane. I met Goten. Yes. <laughs> so you see, so you see a bunch of things in the opening cutscene. Mm-hmm. You see, uh, you see a, a an airship flying into Alexandria. Yeah, it's one of those classic uh, airships from like one and two and three. Yes, right from the start, it's yeah. really setting, really setting the mood of the game as the airship is flying into Alexandria for the first time, and you, rather than the very steampunk look or the sci-fi look of seven and eight, you're seeing a really fanciful kind of almost medieval mm-hmm. city in the classical Final Fantasy sense. Yeah, absolutely. You see, like the towers, the spires, the castles, cobblestones everywhere. In the background, if I if I remember correctly, you're hearing the music for Melodies of Life, mm-hmm. uh, but like an instrumental version of, of Melodies of Life. Melodies of Life being the official song of Final <laughs> Fantasy IX. Everyone gets one. So starting with Final Fantasy VIII with Eyes on Me, they started putting those vocal soundtracks, and oh my god, that was such a big deal, that was Nadia. A huge deal, that especially like even in seven with uh, Sephiroth's uh, final song, like just the Latin chorus, even though it was total nonsense, it was like wow. Yeah, they really went over the top in in eight with that. With the frankly, Liberi Fatali is maybe my favorite Final Fantasy tune ever. I have to admit, it's pretty great. Like that's a fantastic opening until you find out like it was just like a couple of schoolboys having a slap fight, basically. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's an unbelievable opening, yeah. but that's neither here nor there. Final Fantasy Nine. So they're heading into Alexandria, but you also see, if I recall correctly, uh, a princess, a, a girl, yeah, who she, it opens with her having kind of a nightmare, I suppose. Yeah, she's having a dream about like a little ship being tossed around on the waves, and I couldn't really get a good look at who's on the ship. It might have been her actually, but uh, yeah. she wakes up and it's nice and sunny, and there's birds. Yes, it's nice and sunny. She's sitting in the sunlight in what looks like a castle. Yeah, her room. I think she drifted off. And that aspect was actually really pretty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we meet Zidane, who is the main hero. And he's kind of like Goku. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I named him Goten. Because he has the tail and everything. And uh, tell me what happens next. Uh, basically, uh, he's on the ship that's supposed to, I'm guessing, supposed to have like a troop of actors who are going into the kingdom yes. to perform uh, a, a big play called, uh, not Where's My Canary, or Be My Canary, or something like that. <laughs> Dude, Where's mm-hmm. My Canary? Um, Dude, Where's My Canary? <laughs> so, so Let's going- go to White Castle. <laughs> so they're going into town. Um I don't think they're actually the actors. They probably maybe kicked them out or killed them. I don't know. But uh, their their plan is to kidnap the princess who we saw in the opening scenes, and I guess maybe to to ransom her or something. Uh, and uh, you, that's where you kind of do a small battle tutorial, and that's where I found out. Wow, like these are this is as basic as the Final Fantasy battles get, because you have your fight, you have your your maybe magic, you have your skill, which in this case was steel because it's a band of thieves, uh, all menu based. Um, 
so yeah, I'm going into town, and then the scene switches over to Vivi, who is supposed to have this this ticket to go see the Canary thing, and it turns out to be a fake, which was kind of sad because I show my Poor ticket Vivi. to the. Oh. I show well, literally the first thing you see when you see Vivi is him like tripping and looking up like really cutely. Yeah, he's really adorable. He's like that little black cat, the big hat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he has a ticket to see the show, but he finds out it's a fake. And like, I guess he starts crying because uh, the guy at the ticket booth is like, no, no, it's okay. I'm, it's all right. Here, have these like game cards. And uh, I forget the name of the game that you play. Uh, Tetramaster, was it? Yes. Tetramaster. So it's like, go learn how to play Tetramaster from this, this alley kid. So I learned how to play Tetramaster, and I played a few games of that. And I did pretty good, actually. Um, I, oh, did you? Did you win? I won. Yeah, I won, and I, draw, and I drew. Um, but I'm not sure if it turned out to be as popular as Triple Triad. Because obviously... The no, not, yet, not on your life. Yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't was as huge. good. And... Uh, so I met this rat kid who's like, yeah, be my slave and I'll get you into the show. So I'm doing tasks for him. And that's where I am for now. Okay. So let's let's talk about a few different aspects of this, okay? Mm-hmm. So let's go back really quickly and quickly talk about the battle system. Mm-hmm. So even though it's simple, by the standards of Final Fantasy, it was also slightly more complex because every character had their own special ability. Right. So like Zidane, Zidane had steel. Uh, have you seen anybody else um, in battle yet? Yeah, Zidane was in a a, a a team with four. One was named mm-hmm. Blank. Um, I can't remember the other guys' names. Yeah, so they're the acting troop. They're acting troop. Yeah, but they're all their skills, as far as I knew, were steel. So the thing that immediately stands out is Final Fantasy seven VII and eight were much more like you had these blank templates, mm-hmm. and you just put everything on top of them yes and the only thing that really differentiated them were their their limit breaks yeah whereas true. final fantasy 9's characters in battle were already much more distinct yeah and again that's a lot like six where uh, the skills to find the character like Terra could transform into the half asper and like seven can use the street fighter moves yes so in that respect final fantasy 9 is already the party building aspect of Final Fantasy IX is already more complex. Yes. The flip side of that, if I recall correctly, is that the leveling up is not as complicated. <laughs> Isn't it just like, is it just traditional leveling up or is there something Yes, it's else? just traditional so leveling grinding, up. grinding, basically. Yeah, it's grinding, basically, getting better equipment. Mm-hmm. All of the crazy junctioning stuff from 8 is gone. Which I'm okay Nine with. is. I'm not I'm, I okay. Not it was a, a it was a fun one off experiment. It, it just it just freaked me out because I guess I was a more traditional Final Fantasy fan, which is why nine appealed to me so much at first, and then it broke on me, and I was like, and here we are. Yes, that noise exactly. <laughs> a lot of people were not big fans of Final Fantasy VIII's junctioning system. It was too different. It was too weird. It was out there. I love it. But I have also 15 years of hindsight, so... That's true. You really do. Yeah. So, another thing that I would like to really quickly address is Vivi himself. So, this is our first time seeing a black mage again. Mm-hmm. Uh, first time seeing a black mage in 3D. Yeah. It's a big deal. We have not seen a black mage since Final Fantasy V? Yeah, five. I think it was a job there. It was a job, and people could kind of dress up 
as a black mage, but it wasn't quite the same. Right. Not, not certainly not in the same way that it was in one, two, and three. Yeah. So this was a kind of a big deal. And I, I think that Vivi really just set people's expectations for the black mage and maybe even kind of popularized the black mage with yeah, a lot of people. Definitely. I mean, uh, look, at <laughs> even though you can't see Vivi's face, Vivi has the one aspect of an art of a character that matters the most big eyes yeah those big expressive glowing eyes although it's interesting because um being someone who played final fantasy from the very start at least as far as america goes to me black mages were always kind of a little bit of a jerk um if you like if you go into back into final fantasy 4 the white mages are always like you know kind of like timid and and forgiving Whereas the black mages are the ones who like basically kick Cecil in the balls when he comes back to Mesedia and says, "Hey, you're the one who killed us," and they like cast spells on him to like turn him into like toads and poison him and just treat him like a, uh, like well like he deserves really. But to me, I always thought like of black mages as being a little bit vengeful, a little bit like snarky. Whereas Vivi is very well, he's very sweet. My impression of the black mage is from those old eight bit theater comics. Yes, <laughs> he was where... a maniac. Yes, the Black Mage is cast as being completely psychotic mm-hmm. and being a huge fan of stabbing everything. Yes. And also uses, uh, loves to destroy everybody with Hadokens. Yeah. Giant <laughs> energy beam blasts, like takes great pleasure in that and uh, has great kind of, uh, a great chemistry with Fighter, who's just an idiot. He's an idiot. He likes swords and that's all I remember from him. The the thing that I remember most fondly from this fifteen year old comic web comic is Bodoken. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's so old. Now I feel yes. Old. If you can find it, I, I actually recommend it. It's Theater. somewhere it, around. It's good. I'm sure. Yeah, it, it went for quite a while and, and ultimately ended. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually the only way I can talk to my husband about Final Fantasy because that's the only Final Fantasy lore he's really familiar with. <laughs> Bodoken. Yeah, is through Eight Bit Theater. But Final Fantasy IX, of course, with Vivi. Uh, now you got somebody who's just really cute and from the very start, extremely sympathetic. Mm-hmm. And from that moment, I would say Vivi became the star of Final Fantasy IX from that very first moment that Vivi is introduced. Yep. Yep. I mean, I uh, a couple of days ago when uh, the game was announced, I put up, like I said, that Vivi cat with the scarf and the hat. I put it up on Facebook, our Facebook page, and it just got like a crazy amount of likes and shares. Vivi, uh, that that moment, that initial moment with Vivi, when you see Vivi trip mm-hmm. and look up really sadly with those big yellow eyes, sold a million plushies. <laughs> the gaze that moved a million plushies. All right, Nadia. So we are just now getting into Final Fantasy IX. I am looking forward to additional thoughts as we continue through our Final Fantasy IX report. We've done our introduction. We've talked about kind of the opening moments. And we're going to have a lot more to discuss as you continue to play through it. You're going to... I'm going to really look forward to your thoughts. Uh, We'll dive a little more into Tetramaster. Yeah. Yeah, a bit later, maybe into in a subsequent episode. But uh, I, I have thoughts, <laughs> shall we say? Tetra thoughts. And so we will just keep, kind of keep going through this uh, on a week to week basis until we wrap it up. So Nadia, ha- look forward to playing more Final Fantasy Nine. And uh, yeah, and I look forward to your Secret of Mana report.
Yes. Oh, I, I suppose one last note. Uh, how are the PS4 editions treating you? I haven't really messed around with them too much, but as far as I know, you can um, fast forward through battles. I'm sure will be really handy. Uh, yeah, I would recommend doing that. Yeah. I noticed uh, one feature. I'm not sure what it is. It just says 9999. What the hell is that? Is that like fill up your gold instantly? Is that like... I Maybe give it a shot? I'm scared to try it, but I think I will. <laughs> Everything. Do it, Nadia. Do it. Everything just goes up in a fire. Maybe it's a cheat. Ooh, cheats. Yes. Okay. All right. We are going to have Mike on here now, and we're going to talk a little bit about Divinity Original Sin 2, so don't go away. All right. I'm here with Mike Williams, reviews editor, who has been playing a good chunk of Divinity Original Sin 2, which <laughs> I streamed earlier this week after some technical problems, but I did get through uh, the opening and everything. I got a nice look at the game and all that. Uh, you are much further, Mike. You're in Act 3. So really quickly, I think we should just start by maybe explaining what Divinity Original Sin is all about so the people aren't super familiar with it. Uh, okay, so... Divinity, wait, Divinity Original Sin All Told is Larian Studios, uh, sort of their own little world that they have. Divinity, uh, Dragon Commander, and a couple of other Divinity games across a bunch of different, uh, play styles. Divinity Original Sin is their sort of CRPG take, their homage to the Baldur's Gates, the, you know, the, the older, uh, RPGs that have sort of fallen by the wayside but have sort of come back in the 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 form of like wasteland 2 uh or the new uh torment uh tides of numenera game so this is their take on that sort of a a top down not isometric but you could see where it started out as sort of an isometric idea uh rpg with lots of dialogue lots of quests and a whole bunch of combat uh so this is the second of those two games, both of which were kickstarted, uh, much like actually those, those other games that sort of revived that CRPG style, which were, uh, Wasteland 2 and, uh, Tides of Torment, uh, Torment, Tides of Numenera and Pillars of Eternity, which you've played yourself. But it's turn-based, unlike, uh, a lot of these games where you pause and then do some things that, has more of a straight turn-based action point kind of system. Correct. Uh, it it has action points uh, for each of your characters, up to six total. Uh, and like uh, the old Grandia games, it actually has an action timer bar. So you can see who's going to move next. Uh, Reminds me a little of Valkyria Chronicles, actually. <laughs> Oh, I could see that. I could see that. Because yeah. you're, you're moving around, you know, you flanking is actually an important aspect of it because you can do a lot of damage with backstabs and that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, and that's one of the things, uh, like, I, I guess a, not a lot of people sort of realize about uh, Divinity. Like, uh, there's a very deep story to it. There's a lot of amazing quests, a lot of uh, fun things that you can do in the game. But the combat is hard. Like, Divinity Original Sin... One and two will hurt you. Uh, mm-hmm. 
to the point that, uh, and, and, and they'll hurt you on the random to the point that, uh, as, as I put in the review I'm writing, my very first encounter in the game, like from the very first room, I tried to steal a book, uh, and I wasn't able to persuade my way out of it once I got caught, which means I had to fight the guys in that room who just straight up killed me. Oof. Uh, <laughs> so, so divinity is not like you will hit some walls where you'll be like, uh, either a, you're not high enough level or B, you're not thinking about this in the right, like you're thinking about the fight in the right terms. But even then the combat is a lot of fun because it's, uh, procedural sort of, I, I'm trying to think of the word, uh, the correct word for it. it's not procedural, but, uh, it, it's systemic. So if say the ground is coated in oil and there are enemies on it, you can light that oil on fire or you can say create a rain cloud, which, uh, you know, drenches the entire area in water and gives everyone the wet attribute and then shock them with lightning. Uh, and a lot of the deaths that you will come across and some of the more interesting events are when your abilities and the enemy's abilities mix, uh, either resulting in their random deaths or your random deaths or a combination thereof. <laughs> yes, I've seen plenty of people. Uh, one of the comments that people have said time and again is that the best feeling of Divinity Original Sin 2 is when a plan comes together that you look around, almost like Batman, I suppose, and go, hmm in terms of what the environment has to offer your abilities oh it's raining interesting that kind of thing yeah. oh look there's a puddle of oil over there yeah no there's a lot of that and you you have to plan towards that fairly uh early on uh sort of synergizing uh, your abilities and and the rest of the abilities of your party against what you're going to come up against. Uh, there are some games that, that you can try Iron Manning. I think Divinity Original Sin 2 is definitely a safe scum game. Uh, <laughs> I, I would be interested in seeing who Iron Man's this game because I know I could. Someone with a lot of time on their hands. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So one of the things that I find pretty interesting about Divinity Original Sin 2 is that it's actually a hybrid of a game where you can either roll your completely original character with your own background, your own archetypes, or you can use a pre-made character. And if you take this pre-made character into the game, you will have uh, original character-specific dialogue that you can choose from that will kind of highlight who they are. So there's the archetypes, it can be like a jester, so they're always making snarky remarks. Uh, but then there are also the spe character-specific ones that are based on their backstory and everything, which I find really interesting. So what I was going to ask is, what did you choose? Because I went with the pre-made archetype because it was just easier. So uh, one thing with the pre-made archetypes is you can actually, you can still edit them to a certain degree. So I went with uh, Ifan Ben-Mezd. Uh, and I made him a battle mage, but I changed his face and I changed his starting abilities. Uh, so there is some flexibility to that, but yeah. So basically, um, 
there are six pre-made characters. Um, Ifan Ban uh, Ilmez, who is a mercenary as a part of a group called the Lone Wolves. Uh, Lose, who is a singer who is also possessed by demons. Uh, Red Prince, a lizard who once was uh, a noble and uh, lost his empire. Uh, Sibyl, who's an elf assassin who was formerly a slave and now wants revenge. Uh, Beast, who is a dwarf uh, sort of warrior uh, that eventually became a pirate. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to stay away from spoilers as much as possible for you guys. There, and when the game starts, you are on a a slave ship, basically. Correct. And they're all there with you. Right. Uh, and the last one is Fane, who is uh, an eternal. So he's an undead who is trying to find out what happened to his people. Uh, but yes, the point is uh, a a person. Uh, who is fairly large in the game starts some stuff in the middle of a town. So you're, you're the, you're called sorcerers. Uh, they're people who can use the source. So this is like an extra level on top of the magic of the world already. The problem is, is anytime you use a source ability, you call down, uh, void, uh, walkers or void awoken, I believe it's called. Um, so you, using these abilities calls monsters. So the person that sort of kicks off everything uh, calls Void Awoken in the middle of a town. And so everyone's on a slave ship. You're all wrapped up X-Men style. And your first act is sort of to get away from prison. Um, Those <laughs> Void monsters be woke. Right. So then you... you uh, uh, I chose Ifan. Uh, but the other characters are your companions. So anyone that you don't choose, and if you create a complete custom character, uh, which I, I wouldn't recommend probably for your first time around, because uh, the special characters have special origin tags that sort of add extra flavor to the game. Um, but whichever ones you don't choose can be found in the game as companions. Uh so I chose Ifen and my primary party. Uh, I have everybody, but my primary party is the Red Prince, uh, Sibyl, Fane, because uh, it's a party of four. So, um, but they're all pretty flexible. Like the Red Prince starts off as a fighter, but you can turn them into anything you want. The game is is amazingly flexible. Like you're not. I made him into an elemental mage, actually, with oh, fire. <laughs> yes, uh, fire. I was work. already a, I was already a fighter, so I, I needed somebody who could do fire stuff. Yeah, see, I was a battle mage, so I needed a a more frontline tank. So I left him as the fighter that he already was. Um, my mage was Fane, uh, but uh, yeah. So essentially. It's about, it's a very flexible game about building sort of this team that you have. You can turn them into anything. You can respec. Uh, once you get to a certain point, you can respec, uh, pretty much anytime you go back to town. Uh, and that's another like tip I'd probably say to people. Like if you're, you're starting the game out, um, it can be a bit daunting and overwhelming. Uh, but it's not like, just a bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's not because eventually Larian is very open about letting you B 
be like, oh yeah, just go ahead, just just change it because you're playing by yourself. Uh, so it's one of those things like, why why are we forcing you to be this forever? When you're playing a single player game, it's it's much better to let people have fun, and I sort of appreciate them for that. I a few things that stand out to me about Divinity: Original Sin Two. It's a really pretty game. It oh yeah oh yeah it, it, very attractive uh, playing on my PC. It's it's not that complicated. You can see the seams in what they've chosen to focus on like say the text boxes with the the little dialogue portraits are actually pretty simple all things considered and when you're watching the cutscenes they're barely animated static arc art but it still looks really good it just goes to show that the style can really make all the difference in a game like this uh you've had a time to play a whole lot more of it i'm curious to hear How's it holding up? How how's it going? Like, is it really worth diving into? Oh, oh Lord, yes. Uh, Divinity Original Sin Two is probably one of the best CRPGs I've ever played. Like, there are definitely some moments, uh, say in the story, uh, that aren't as executed as well in the primary story, but then that's backed up by the, the, the subplots and sort of side quests that you can take. Uh, there's definitely, I, I think, sort of an issue with certain encounters which just feel like utter walls until you get through them. Uh, and I think the game could be better about that. Um, but overall, it's an amazing CRPG. And even beyond that, uh, you have... Uh, a cooperative multiplayer mode. You have the arena, which is PvP multiplayer. You have the game master mode, which is where one player can be like an actual game master, dropping monsters and, and NPCs and, and giving their, their friends and stuff quests, uh, while the others sort of play through it. Um, there's just a lot like Larian really shows like a love of RPG in the like the name RPG role playing game and i think uh that shows really in divinity original sin 2 uh even more so than it did in the first game which was one of my favorites uh when it came out something i've noticed is i don't know if it's because destiny 2 came out and has kind of stolen sucked the oxygen oxygen out of the environment for a lot of different things but it seems to me that, or, or maybe it's because Divinity Original Sin 2 has been in early access for a while now. So, I mean, it's been kind of a known quantity, but it seems like there hasn't been a ton of hype uh, for Divinity Original Sin 2 to this point. Uh, what do you attribute that to? Uh, I mean, I would say this is, uh, Divinity Original Sin 2 is probably not a game that's going to, uh, like, really tear up in terms of a like wide word of mouth I, I still think it it's a very good game but i still think it's a game that appeals to a very like a specific type of player um and i think those players will love it but i mean it's doing really well it it, it has far exceeded their sales I, I forget how many uh copies i want to say like five hundred thousand. 
uh, already. But uh, over on the Steam stats, they were at uh, 60, around like 62,000 peak players, 66, something like that, which puts them uh, right on, like, like puts them above everything else except Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, Counter Strike Go, and Dota 2. So it's a fairly popular and and widely played game. It's just the people who are playing it are talking about it in specific spaces, not like uh you know out on out uh, out out on uh r- like Reddit games or something like that. There's no reason for them to go out and talk because uh probably they think like I do that this is a game for CRPG fanatics and fans kind of a perfect storm of the game was in early access we didn't get re- we didn't get re- final review code until it was almost out right. it's a long rpg so you have to like kind of play through it to be able to really talk about it at length yeah and it's not on console yeah it's not on console and it will be because uh, it has a uh, controller support uh at some point i'm sure but uh yeah it probably also didn't help that we got review code like a couple of days before launch, uh, which is why you've been seeing uh, reviews sort of trickling out over this week uh, slowly. Some people played more uh, fairly quickly, uh, like PC Gamer, because they didn't have Destiny 2 to worry about. <laughs> and because, I mean, Divinity Original Sin 2 is so their jam, yeah, right? I yeah. mean, it's... Right, squarely in their wheelhouse. Yeah, but uh, some you better of, cover it. <laughs> <laughs> but some of the other reviews, like Rock Paper Shotgun, went up yesterday. Um, somebody else went up today. Eurogamer went up today. Uh, ours will be going up today. So it, it's it's been definitely a staggered review thing. So it wasn't like everyone were able to come out and be like, "Wow, this game is getting amazing reviews. Look at all these reviews." Because it was like maybe two or three when it first came out. Uh, so yeah, it, it's one of those things, but I, I don't think it's necessarily hurting the game because again, I don't think this is a game that's going to appeal to like destiny is very good at being a game. That's sort of an entry level MMO because it's first person shooter and you can get into it really easily. I don't think this is that game. Cause like I said, I literally in my first, like that first starting intro area, I died once just seeing what would happening. And then I died a second time because I wasn't paying attention in a fight. Uh, <laughs> I think the Venn diagram between Destiny 2 and Divinity Original Sin 2 is actually not that close, all things considered. No, 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 no. No, not at all. So it, it's it's a very good game. Uh, uh, and uh, Spoiler alert, uh, my review is, is going to be uh, another one of our five out of fives. Ooh. Um, but... Uh, you can look at my review. You can look at other reviews. It's, it's reviewing very highly, and the fans who have played it really love it. I think if this is your thing, if you like games like like Wasteland or uh, uh, Torment, like Planescape Torment, uh, or Baldur's Gate, or, or even newer games like Pillars of Eternity, uh, this is a, a really good game for you, I think. Well, I've got a ton of games on my backlog, unfortunately, so it's going to be tough for me to really dive in anytime soon, but I definitely have it on my radar, and you should too. You should definitely be picking up Divinity Original Sin 2 because it is a 
really intriguing game and i mean but if you don't pick it up now it's probably going to be coming out on console at some point but all right mike thanks for coming on the show and talking a little bit about divinity original sin 2 really appreciate it make sure to check out mike over on the u.s gamer podcast which he is leading now all right we're gonna head on over to reader letters so don't go away All right, Nadia, as always, we have comments from the listeners, and this week we are going to start out with a letter. It's, ty- it's titled Fallout Talk Plus Badass Party, and this is from Rene DaCosta, and Rene says, uh, Kapla, Cat Nadia. I read, listened to all the recent New Vegas talk, uh, but Rene wants to explain why Final Fallout 3 is the superior game overall. Okay. Oh. So, getting this out of the way, main quest in Fallout 3 sucks. It is extremely binary with Enclave supervillains and Brotherhood being super rad. The Broken Steel DLC adds a bit of death, but not much. The factions in New Vegas blow it away. I said, while the action and consequence of New Vegas were exciting and dynamic, the world of New Vegas is a bore true transverse. At Fallout 3, when you arise from the vault and see a ruined, depopulated metropolis, the entirety of downtown D.C. is a super mutant wasteland with captives and shopping cart cages and with you fighting for your life. The subway system is full of ghouls. The areas in between are random raider encampments. The world feels hostile and threatening and is very much behooves you to explore and avoid the main quest line. And while the main quest is pretty lame, you run to many exciting episodic adventures in between. Who forgets siding with the ghouls in that asshole apartment tower a la Land of the Dead? Or deciding what to do with the mutated tree tree man? Or hunting down the vampire clan? Or fucking over Megaton? Or the Vault of Gary? Or the Hallucination Vault? Hell, all the vaults were pretty exciting. I'm not saying that New Vegas didn't have anything similar, but everything was laser-focused on the eventual outcome of the dam. The wider world of three just felt, well, wilder. It sucks to explore New Vegas prior to going to the Strip. The entire world feels overly populated, and super mutants are totally cool now, so don't worry. This is fine, because the wider political story is excellent with the showdown of NCR House Caesar, but the desert landscape isn't as fun, and aside from occasional wrecks, it looks like sort of like actual Vegas now? The pre-strip area is more or less Fremont. I dare say there is nothing of consequence to do prior to the strip, and that is where the game begins in earnest, where it gets exciting. Fallout 3 is fun to explore physically. New Vegas is fun to explore in consequences. Go Legion. Oh, man, Caesar Legion. (laughs) I actually played quite a bit of 3. I never finished it, but um, I did play it, and I was recently in D.C., and I was on the subways, and I was like, huh, okay, well, this looks familiar. 3 freaked the hell out of me. Um in a couple of instances. Number one, being the subways. I'm like, oh, that's it. I'm out. And also, <laughs> at one point, I was just kind of minding my own business, and I turn around, and there's a mile, a mile lurk running towards me, like, totally silently, and I just freaked. And I, <laughs> I just ran. And thankfully, there was, like, a merchant nearby who shot it for me. But uh, 3 is a very, very depressing game, because as you say, yes, it is a wasteland. Everything is just ruined, and there's only so much gray and, and dirt I can take. But... Even given the consequences, one reason I, I liked for at least visually a little bit more is because it really had the world starting to kind of mend a little bit. And I'm the kind of person who's really fascinated with the like the Chernobyl dead zone and just how like everything's kind of bounced back in its own radiated way. So three being just nothing but rubble and dirt, which is kind of like mm, yeah. 
One of my favorite pictures was actually on Kotaku right after Barack Obama was sworn in for his inauguration. Mm -hmm. And there's a great picture of Obama looking out over a giant crowd in the, you know, in D.C., Mm -hmm. right on the Capitol Hill lawn mall. And Kotaku went to that same spot in Fallout 3 and just looked out at the same ruined area and juxtaposed it. Uh, That was always a really striking image for me. Yeah. That's pretty cool. If you missed it the first time, over on US Gamers, our Fallout New Vegas retrospective making of where we talked to various Obsidian folks about how it all came together, hopefully offered a lot of sights and insight into how the different quests came together, the the factions, that kind of thing, the DLC. So go and read that and listen to the previous episode because we also talk about it at some length there uh by the way renee has a party of badasses oh boy leader cthulhu cthulhu saves the world (laughs) uh there is some uh, what appears to be cthulhu speech (laughs) (laughs) thief is rothgar from dragon age origins i made a low cast dwarf rogue he was cool and set traps mage magus from chrono trigger emo bad boy Heal the healer is Saiten from Xenogears. Healer, sword fighter, robot pilot, raconteur. And the tank is Iron Bull from Dragon Age Inquisition. I rode the bull. Also had to nuke his ass in the DLC. <laughs> yes, Iron Bull. Okay. Thanks, Renee, for writing in. And as always, we're still looking for your perfect RPG parties, and we always enjoy reading them. Uh, we've gotten quite a few. I think my favorite is still the robot one. That was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. And of course, if you write in, uh, leave a note on the show notes for the podcast or send me an email at usgamer at usgamer.net. We may read your letter on the show. Okay. Axel Bloodgod is a US Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever else podcasts are sold many ways to connect to us follow us on twitter at the underscore catbot nadia at nadia oxford and of course the site is us gamer net follow us on facebook at us gamer net and everything else we stream twice a week on twitch nadia we're gonna we're gonna have some fun next week we're gonna do a snes classic marathon yes that's gonna be a lot of fun yes i'm gonna be spending several hours on the day of the snes classics release just chilling and playing some SNES Classic. I'm going through a whole bunch of different games. Just come hang out with me. It'll be on a Friday. You know, you don't have to work. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Just just grab a beer from your company's fridge or just sneak over to a PC, have a tablet with you, and watch some watch some streams. Forget productivity. Have, fun, have for some a day. fun. Man, the SNES Classic's out next week. I wonder if I'm actually going to be able to get one. Yeah, I'm wondering that. Me too. I mean, I'm supposed to get a review unit, but it uh, hasn't arrived. No, you'll be, getting, you'll be getting the review unit hopefully very soon. Maybe maybe tomorrow? But uh, I'm just going to steal Katie's for the stream because she's getting one. Because oh, that's of course, right. You guys live close together. We do live close together. I'm also planning on going to the local GameStop mm-hmm. and standing in line and hoping for the best. Good luck with that. Yeah, thanks. All right, so we'll be doing that. And, of course, we'll be continuing on with our Final Fantasy IX report and many other reports besides Secret of Nana report and all of that. So please look forward to that. 
Oh, and uh, you should go listen to our other podcast, the flagship podcast, the U.S. Gamer Podcast, which I'm no longer on. Aw, we miss you, Ken. Yes, Mike stabbed me on the back and pushed me out of the the, the show. Actually, that's not true. <laughs> you like, Mike's capable of that. I was like, actually, I don't have time to produce two podcasts in a row. So I had the reins off to Mike, Nadia, and Katie. And you know what? I really like the chemistry that you guys have. You have a really nice, easygoing flow. You talk about a variety of different topics. And it's nice for me not being there because I, I think it now has a different voice. Yeah, one thing about podcasts is they take up a lot of energy, even just being on them. Yes, even just being on them. People are like, oh, podcasting, that's really easy. Man, if you, if you, just podcasting would be the life. It's true, it's fun, it's good, but you're not just hanging out and talking. You're always, you always have to be on, yep. right? Yep, 100%. Yeah, and this past week, you were talking about Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, you were talking about Danganronpa V3. You're joking about how everything is better on the Switch. We were getting some dark revelations from Katie. And we were talking about cross-platform play. So you guys covered a lot. Yeah, we had a nice discussion there. Yes. So you can go subscribe to the U.S. Gamer Podcast on iTunes, Google Play. You know where to find it. So please go and do that. And also do me a favor. If you're enjoying the show, leave a review. Please, please, please. If you leave a review... That will make the show more visible on our various platforms, especially Stitcher, but also iTunes uh, and Google Play. We really appreciate hearing feedback from our fans. Okay, Nadia, we'll be back again, as always, next week. We'll continue with our Final Fantasy IX report, maybe kick off our Secret of Mana report, maybe not. And uh, until then, I've been Kat Bailey, and for Nadia, Mike, and myself, thanks for listening. Until the next time, happy adventuring. 